I'll start off and I'm thinking, Lord, I really need something and I need to spend some time with you and I need to sacrifice the food aspect and and give my attention to you fully and then I'll make it like halfway through the day. And then I'll think, you know, Lord, you understand that if I don't eat right now, I might not survive. So uh, the Lord uh, the Lord knows we need this more than we probably practice it. Uh, but I want to show you something. This is really, really amazing as it relates to revival. And by the way, Ezra is all about revival because God is bringing Israel back to the promised land so that they could worship again. It's literally a revival of their worship all through the book. And, you know, we, I think we've seen it as we've studied thus far, but a key part of that is what we're going to talk about tonight. Look at, now we're in chapter eight, but go two verses backwards to verse 27 of chapter seven, and then we'll start there, and then I'll have you jump to a few verses so we can get uh, a handle on what, what's being said here, okay? Verse 27, now remember the temple has been built, and then the Bible says this, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So it's not just that the king gave permission for Israel to go back to the land of Judah or rather back to the land of Jerusalem and the land of Israel in Jerusalem to worship, but that he gave them the supplies, the resources they needed to beautify the temple. Amazing. Verse 28 and hath extended mercy unto me before the king. That is, God extended that mercy and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. That's what we talked about last night. Having God's hand on us. And I'll tell you this. For those of you who understand what that feels and what that means, but it's not just a feeling, but I think sometimes we can describe it as a feeling, you know, the hand of God on us. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And you can go through the motions at the same time, know that God's hand isn't really on you. And that's, that's sort of a miserable time or season in life. And we all go through that. And what we desire is God's hand on us so that we're not going through the motions and we have that strength. It says, verse 28, I was strengthened as I had the hand of the Lord uh, my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. So they're preparing everything. They're getting all the resources. They're getting all the blessings, everything that's been provided so they can go back to Jerusalem and worship God and have a revival of worship. But before they left, chapter 8, jump to verse 21. Ready? Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So before they even left for the land, before they even went on the journey back, They paused, they stopped, and they said, Ezra said, we need to pray. We need to fast. Then, verse 31, then we departed from the river of Ahava. After they fasted, after they prayed, then they left. We're going to talk about that tonight. 
Father, I pray your blessings, please, upon the message. Guide us in your path. We need you. We need to hear from you. So I pray for a conviction from your spirit in our soul so that we would know not just that, not just that we're hearing from you, although that is key, Lord, we need to hear from you, but in a specific way so we know what you'd have us to do. And then, Lord, with that, I pray you'd give us courage to take steps of faith and obedience in it. We'll give you glory for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. We need to know that God is there. Amen. We need to know that He's there. We had a revival when I moved to Phoenix as pastor. There was a season there, a transition time, where it felt like it felt like we needed something, but I didn't know how to I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know how to, you know, pursue it. And so what kept coming to my mind is we need to schedule, even though I just got here, we need to schedule at least a little revival. And so I contacted a friend of mine who pastors in Scottsdale, Arizona. He and I went to school together. We're great friends. And I asked him if he would come for a Sunday in March and do a Sunday-Monday revival, just a real short Sunday-Monday, you know, shot in the arm, encouragement, strengthening, which is what I felt like we as a church needed to sort of bring us together and so he was willing to do that, and he came, and he preached, and it was a tremendous time for our church, connected with our church, had a great time of revival. In one of his sermons, he was speaking about the hand of God. He was speaking about the blessing of God, and specifically about needing to have confidence that the Lord is there when we're going through these seasons, because we have storms in life. God never promised us, Jesus never told his disciples, oh, and when you follow me, you'll not have any problems or storms. He never said that. But he did promise that he would give us peace in the midst of the storm. He did promise that he would go with us through the storm. He would be there with us. And so as my friend is seeking God and preaching, of course, and he's given an illustration in his sermon about a, a time when he was riding his bike and he is a big mountain bike person. You know, I'm not a mountain bike person, so... You know, he, I don't understand that aspect of his fitness and what he likes to do with all that. Um, so he's on a long bike ride. We're talking 60 miles mountain bike in the mountains. That's what he likes to do. He's in the midst of this ride and he's praying as he's going and he's be, being, he's being, uh, touched. He's being convicted and needing to know that God is there. So he pulls off the bike trail, and he lifts his arms like this. No one's around. And he begins to out loud call out to God just to work in him and to bring confidence to him that God is there and taking him through this storm. And suddenly, in the instance he lifts his arm and is calling out to God, a bird flies in and lands on his arm right there. And through that, he felt it wasn't as though it was a sign, but God used that to remind him in that moment that I'm still here. I'm still here. So after he does that sermon, that same night, I go outside and I'm walking at, out in front of my 
yard. In my house, there's a trail that's a mile long out behind my house. And I'm on this trail. It's dark outside. No one's around. And I'm walking, and my heart is heavy. And I'm remembering what my friend sought and paused and prayed and was seeking God. And so I began to, out loud, with no one around, of course, call out to the Lord and bear my burdens to Him. And suddenly a bird swooped in, true story, swooped in and pooped right on me. (laughs) Absolutely true story. The same night he told that story. And I thought, Lord, I'm not really sure what you're trying to tell me with this. You know? But I think that we can all agree that however God chooses to remind us, but there's a great truth. He's there. He's never going to leave you alone. And though you're maybe down and struggling through a season that we would, or perhaps you would consider a, a storm in life or a struggle in life, God will, he will, he will bring reminders to you that he's, he's still there. And if it, no other way, he'll, he'll bring a peace to you that passes understanding as you seek him. Why? Because what God desires us to have is revival. It's, it's a closeness to him that he desires for us. And he won't leave us in a position where we will be without hope. Not if we desire to seek him. Not if we desire to have a closeness to him, a revived spirit. Ezra knew that it was time to go in the land. He knew that God was directing through circumstances and touching the hearts of the king and giving these resources. The fact that the king was allowing him to go in the miraculous events, but then providing all of the financial resources so that they could, uh, you know, go into the land and build a temple and then, and then, and then make, beautify the temple and have everything that they needed. It was clear that the hand of God even declared the hand of God is on Ezra. The hand of God is on Israel. God is doing this. So the, the reminder is obvious. God is there. God is working. And so he would have been because he had that confidence, because he knew God is here. God is, God is working. God is, God is doing this. I mean, there would have been an excitement. He would have had an eager spirit to just gather Israel together, throw everything in the wagon, and let's go, you know? I mean, he would have been excited. Now, let's not forget, this is a long journey. We're talking 900 miles of travel. And so, because they had such a long trip from Babylon to Jerusalem, it would have taken them three months to get there. So... We, we think, well, 900 miles, that's, that's, pre- that's pretty far. Yeah, it's far if you're driving. But they're not even driving. It's going to take them weeks and weeks and weeks to, to even get there. And the, the, the terrain that they had tra- to traverse to get from Babylon to Jerusalem was perilous. In fact, the same terrain in the conquest of Alexander the Great, he declared that it was the most dangerous for his troops of all of his conquest. We're talking about from Babylon to Jerusalem. And so this would have been a very difficult trip. It would have been a very dangerous trip. Why? Because they didn't just have families, vulnerable 
families with children, that would have made it difficult. But they also had a lot of money. Like a lot of money. Well, how much? Well, let's take a look. Look at verse 26 of chapter 8. So they're, on the, or they're getting ready to go on the journey, and here is what has been given them by the king to beautify the temple. Verse 26. I even weighed unto their hand 650 talents of silver and silver vessels and hundred talents and of gold and hundred talents. Verse 27. Also 20 basins of gold and of a thousand, or rather of a thousand drams and two vessels of fine copper, precious gold. So they had wagons that had just these silver and gold stacked and piled in there. The weight of this silver alone would have been 25 tons, just the silver. The total weight of the gold would have been approximately three and three-fourths tons. So the value of this would have been in the millions of dollars. This is a lot of resources. So getting from Babylon to Jerusalem was a long journey and it would have been perilous, but they would have traversed through a, a, a part of the country of the landscape where there were robbers who were prepared to pillage anybody who came through. Now you might remember in the Middle East, or you might note this in the Middle East where they're traveling through, there's a lot of mountains with valley, deep valleys in between. And in these mountains are, are thousands and innumerable caves. And what would happen is these robbers would hide in the caves and then when somebody was traversing through the valley, they would come through and they would rob and they would pillage anyone who came through. The Apostle Paul even spoke of this area as a dangerous area to travel uh, whenever he went to Antioch of Pisidia in his, in his journeys. He had to go through the same, the same uh, landscape. So consider this dynamic. The people of God were about to make a monumental change. They were about to leave the security of a relatively comfortable position in Babylon. They were about to take a long and dangerous journey. And so I think it's understandable that Ezra was concerned about his people's safety. What he needed was protection. Because of this trip. But you know who he looked to for protection? It wasn't the king. It was God. The king made provision. The king could have made provision to provide soldiers and troops to guard Israel as they journeyed. But Ezra didn't go to the king to ask for safety or for provisions that way. Well, what did he do then? Verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast. So we need safety for this journey. We haven't left yet, but look at these wagon loads of gold and look at these families and look where we're going from to where we're going to, how long it's going to take. Look at, look at the peril in between. You know what we need? We need safety. Here's what we need to do. We need to go to the king. No, no, no. He didn't do that. In fact, it says that he, did, he proclaimed a fast. He said that we need to afflict ourselves, verse 21. We need to afflict ourselves before God. We need to seek Him for a right way, for our little ones, for our substance. He fasted 
for a safe journey, he sought the Lord. Now, let's consider the word fast. It literally means not to eat. That's why we get the word breakfast, breaking our fast. Now, there are other things we can fast from or we can set aside so that we might give our attention to God, but the word literally means not to eat. By the way, thank you for... Somebody got me a cherry pie today. You know? That was not my mission, okay, but I I am thankful for it. And we enjoyed that. It was actually very good. Um, So fasting means I don't get to eat the cherry pie. That's what it means. Um, didn't get to eat the steak. I mean, we're, we're, we're saying food aside. Why? So we can depend on, we can go to God for uh, dependence. So we can go to Him to give us something that without Him we wouldn't have. So they humbled themselves before God, and here's what they acknowledged in their fast. We need you. In other words, to give from where we are to where we're going with safety and remaining or still obtaining all of our substance, if this is going to happen, then you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to provide that safety. So he saw his circumstances and he sought the Lord. Look at verse 22. I've mentioned this already, but it plainly says it in verse 22. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. So understanding the peril in the journey with the substance that the the precious treasures that he had, he knew that he would need protection. And he said, I would be ashamed to go to the king and request this. Well, why did he say that? Let's go on. Verse 22, because we had spoken unto the king. Well, what did you tell the king? He's here's what he said. The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. By the way, if we just pause, we could talk about that phrase right there for the rest of our time together. The hand of God is on them, that's all of us, for good who seek Him. Here's what that means. If you make a decision to give God your whole heart tonight, the good hand of God will come on you. He said, we told the king that. He goes on. But His power and His wrath is against all them that forsake Him. So we told the king how good our God is, how powerful and strong our God is, that his good hand is on them that seek him, and we seek him, and God's hand isn't on those that that forsake him. And so, verse 23, we fasted and besought our God for this. We're not going to go to the king for what we need. We're going to go to our God. And then the Bible says in verse 23, the last phrase, he meaning God was entreated of us. Well, what does that mean? It meant that the Lord granted them this grace. It meant that that when they sought God through fasting and praying, that God heard their request. God was listening to them when they prayed. He was not turning a blind eye or a deaf ear on His people. They sought Him and He heard their prayer. They sought Him and He listened to their requests. It reminds me of Philippians when uh, it says, Be careful for nothing but by prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication. Prayer means talk to God. Supplication means asking. So those that pray and those that seek God then as we make our requests known unto Him, the God of peace, will 
The God of peace will work in us. He'll give us peace that passes understanding. And so Israel besought God through fasting and prayer. Then the Bible clearly says that they were entreated. And then verse 31, they departed. So for revival, they had everything they needed, but they still weren't there yet. Why? Because they weren't strong enough. If we had a push-ups contest, I wonder who would win. Probably Brother Nick. Oh, Brother Mike would win, obviously. Thank you for raising your hand right there. <laughs> We're not as strong as we think we are, spiritually speaking. It might be, listen to this, it might be that God stirs in us and He speaks to us and we agree with what God is doing in us. What I mean by that is we want, God wants us to have a closeness to Him. We remember the time when we had that closeness, that revived spirit, and we desire that again, and God desires that in us, and so He stirs in us. He works through His Word to bring conviction and, and speaks to us in a clear way so that we're willing to take the appropriate steps to be where He wants us to be. Like we you know, said last night, God, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to obey You. Nothing is off limits. You can have the, we even said it this way, you can have the whole jar. I'm not going to hide anything from you. Or attempt to, like we can hide anything from God. But, you know, I'm not going to make any attempts to pretend like something's okay when you're speaking to me about what needs to be addressed. So we can have all of that. We can have a desire to do what God is speaking to us to do. We can even come to the altar and make a commitment like it says in Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. So we need to make that commitment. You can even come and do that. But that doesn't mean you'll have the strength to follow through. <clears throat> we don't have the power to follow through with commitments that we've made. Why? Because our flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we find ourselves tempted we find ourselves struggling even though we know what He wants us to do and we're willing to do it and we still can't do it. <clears throat> Sometimes the flesh is powerful to overcome. Well, it's always powerful to overcome. And so we desire to give God these struggles, but they still just come back and overwhelm us. I think of somebody who has discouragement struggles, like anxiety or perpetual sadness. And you want to overcome that, but it's like extremes. You live in extremes. People who struggle with this often live, you know, extremely sad, extremely overwhelmed, extremely stressed, extremely full of anxiety. But then a few days later, extremely happy, extremely over the top, full of joy. And it's just like these huge valley and peaks of mountaintop. You know, and in life, God doesn't want you to be like this. They, they, I call it the roller coaster. God doesn't want you to be a roller coaster Christian. What's He want you to be? He wants you to be a train. And perhaps you want that. And perhaps you come and you make commitments. God, I'm not going to struggle with anxiety anymore. I'm going to, you know, I hear that. 
cast your care upon the, me, and I'll, you know, for he cares for you. And you come to the altar and you're like, I'm going to cast my cares to you. But then you go home and it, it, it's like they, it's like they're attached, you know? Scratch your head, Lord, I thought I gave this to you, but I, I can't seem to, you know, to get rid of it. A critical spirit is that way. Some, somebody who has a hard time with a negative attitude. It's not a good thing when you, con- when you come into the room and you see everything that's wrong. It's not a good quality. Think, well, I, I'm actually blessed of the Lord with the spirit of discernment. That's not a good... <laughs> it just means you have a critical attitude. And so when you come in, you see everything that bothers you. And you can't get past it. That's not a good spirit to have. And what we need, first of all, is to be convicted about having a critical attitude and a negative spirit. We need to be convicted about it. And perhaps you're there where God's working in you about it. He's speaking to you about a critical spirit. You don't want to have it anymore. And so you come to the altar and you make that commitment. But then when you leave, that critical spirit seems to just follow you. How do I get rid of this? Anger is an issue for many people. We had a, we played basketball on a court near our house, and this kid, maybe 10 years old, was there playing with us. And my kids are between the ages of 10 and 16, and we're out there playing basketball. And this kid complained the whole time about how he wasn't getting the ball. Like you, he was getting the ball as much as anybody else out there, okay? He was getting the ball, but he was complaining that he wasn't getting the ball enough. Man, I never get the ball. I mean, he, you know, but he had, had been getting the ball. And then whenever he'd shoot it, if he missed any shot, he would start kicking stuff. Like he had a backpack there. He just kicked that thing, threw his phone out in the yard. I mean, a 10 year old probably shouldn't have a phone. That's my opinion. But anyway, threw his phone out in the yard. I thought, man, this kid has an anger problem. 10 years old, anger problem. I wonder where he gets that. Anyway, so it might be that we have a struggle with anger and we need to get a grip on that. We need God to work in us. Like, well, I'm, God, I'm going to give this anger to you. I'm never going to struggle with anger again. Uh-huh. You know, let's talk about patience. Our favorite subject, Patience. We need patience, uh, but often it's the one thing that we don't have a lot of it. And we want things to happen yesterday. There's so many things. I talked about unhealthy eating habits, but we won't go there. It's not that you're not willing to say no. In fact, it's not that you didn't say no. Meaning, God... I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be this way. I've allowed these things to overcome, overtake me, these sinful either characteristics or activities, and I want to turn them over to you. I want to give this to you. God, I want to say no to this. It's not that we're not willing to say no. It's that we get into the storm and we get into the season of life where we go back into our day-to-day living and we feel that we can't say no. We don't have the strength to say no. It's because we're weak. We're vulnerable. When you go into this world, you're going into a spiritual battlefield. You make commitments to God, but then 
you make that commitment to God, God, I'm going to quit this. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to change all these things. And I'm going to do it for you because I know it's what you want me to do. And you want to do it. And the commitment is real. And the devil's listening. Oh, you're going to make that, you're going to make that change, huh? Oh, you're going to make that commitment, huh? Well, let, let me just see. Let, let's just see how strong you are. And you go back into this world and you'll find out really quick as you're not strong enough to follow through. Well, good thing, good thing I'm spiritual and strong. You might be the weakest one here if you're lifted in pride. <clears throat> we need strength that only God can give us. Listen to this. There is nothing in this world or in your flesh or in your own ability that's going to make you strong enough to follow through with commitments you've made to God. That strength, that protection, that guidance, it, it must come from God. And if we're going to have it, we have to make a decision to seek Him. We have to decide we're going to fast. We have to decide we're going to pray. Uh, one time, a friend of mine, he and I encouraged each other about our prayer life. And so we listened to these sermons about prayer and we decided, you know what, we're going to pray for an hour a day. And we made a commitment to each other. And every day we asked each other, how was your prayer today? And so it was an accountability time. It was, it was uh, you know, a, a, a season where he and I encouraged each other in our prayer life. And one day he came to me and he said this, you know what we need to do? We need to have an all-night prayer meeting. Ooh, that sounds like a good idea. You know, this was when I was, you know, not young, but younger, you know. It's like a youth rallies, all-nighters. I mean, that doesn't sound fun to me anymore. But anyway, so we're going to pray all night. So we show up at the church, because we're going to pray at the church, and there was a group of about six of us, and we're going to pray all night long. So we showed up at around 10 o'clock. And we're there, and we thought, okay, well, what are we going to do? And my friend who had it all scheduled out, how we're going to do this all night long, he said, we're going to start off at the pulpit. And so we all six of us stood around the pulpit, and we put our hands on the pulpit like this, either this way or just one hand. And we, pray, we just went around and we prayed for a whole hour and asked God for His blessings in the preaching. We asked God for, to empower now, I know this is, just, this is just a thing, but what happens from here is the gospel, the power of the message, and we prayed for God's power in the preacher, in the preaching, in the messages, and we got to the end of that first hour, and we were, we were excited. So then the next place we went to was the Sunday school classes. In all of the Sunday school classes, for about 10 minutes, we went in each class and we prayed for the teacher and for the children that would be in that class. And then we, we prayed in the pastor's office. I wasn't the pastor at this time. So we went into his office and we prayed for a whole hour for the counseling and for the studying of the Word of God and for God's power in the pastor. And we, we prayed in there for an hour. We're going through the whole building. We, we prayed all throughout the auditorium for a time. And then we took our shoes off. I hope it's okay if I do this. I mean, I'm going to do it, so I'll be in trouble. I ask for forgiveness, right? So we stood up on the pews 
And it was a line of six of us, you know, and we're walking on the pews, trying not to fall off, you know, and we're praying and we're going in a line. So I would pray and then the guy behind me would pray and we would just, we walked back and forth for a whole hour on every pew. It's starting to get late, so we needed to be moving, right? So then we started running out of ideas. So we, we actually prayed in the bathrooms. We're like, you know, I mean, God can work in here too, you know? So <laughs> we did that. True, we did that. So we got through, then we went outside and we prayed on the buses for a whole hour. We prayed for the kids that we would pick up and for God's blessings. And then it's about 3 a.m. and we are, we are out of ideas. And then somebody said this. We need to pray walking around the property seven times like they did at Jericho. We're like, we got chills. We're like, that's an awesome idea. So we're praying and we're walking around the property, around the building, and we get to about the fifth lap. And every time we came around, you could see the buses over here on this side. So we came around the building on the fifth lap and we noticed something that wasn't there on the fourth lap. Somebody had graffitied on the side of the bus. So somebody's over there right now. And one of the guys in our group, he was like, somebody's graffitiing on our bus. He took off over there. I'm like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? These people are still here, you know. I mean, they were gone. But whenever he came back, I mean, we, we were like, we were, it was kind of a nervous energy that we had. And we, we, we went ahead and did the last two and got back in the building. But in that moment, it was as though, it was as though it became clear that what we were doing in that moment was praying the power of God in the ministry and we could physically see the forces of evil trying to come against it. It was as though, it was, it was as though while we were praying the power of God that the devil was attacking the ministry in, in the midst while we were doing that. God used that to strengthen my walk in that moment and allowing me to have experience that I'll never forget. But here's the point. You and I, we make commitments to God and revival is, is part of the process of revival in our lives is hearing from God clearly. In other words, we're open, we open our heart enough so that we hear from God clearly. What does God want you to do? Because I can't tell you what God wants you to do, but He'll speak to you if your heart is open. And then He has to break our hearts because even just because you heard from God and you know what He wants you to do, it doesn't mean you're humble enough to, to make a commitment. And so part of the process of God working in us is Him breaking our heart to acknowledge He's speaking to us. God, I know what You want me to do and I want to do it. And so through that, we, we make a commitment to Him. We come to the altar and we say, God, I know what you want me to do. And what you want me to do, I want to do it. I want to follow through. I want to, I want to be your servant. I want to have this revival. And so we make a commitment to him. But we're not done yet. Because you're going to go into, you're going to go on a journey. And on that journey, it's a perilous journey. And you're vulnerable. And the devil knows that you're vulnerable. 
And what you need to be is equipped with strength to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. God, I need revival. I want revival. I'm on my way to revival. The commitment is there, but you're not ready yet. Well, how do you get it? You have to stop. You have to determine to fast and pray. Seeking God in prayer is the only way to have strength that you need to follow through with what God is wanting you to do. Seeking Him in prayer. You may decide nothing's off limits, but you're not done yet until you pray. We don't have strength until we pray. Jesus wanted His disciples to avoid temptation. In the garden, He knew that they would run away and they would deny Him. And not just Peter, but all the disciples ran away. He wanted them to have the strength to stand. So you know what He says to His disciples? Listen very closely. You, You want to have strength to stand with Me? Watch and pray. Remember He said that? He said, watch and pray. They didn't watch and pray. They fell asleep. They didn't want to deny Jesus. They didn't want to run away from Jesus. But they weren't able to avoid the temptation because they didn't watch and pray. We think that prayer is such a small thing. But prayer, after you've made the commitment to God, He's softened you so that you're willing to obey Him. The key to strength to follow through and to... To, um, to stand the test of the storm and temptation, it only comes from Him. And we seek Him in prayer. And He strengthens us. We sang it tonight. I'd never heard this song before, by the way. Do you really want revival? I don't know if you caught it, but let me read verse 2. You don't have to turn there in your book. but Here's what it says. Are you praying for a Revival? Are you praying for God's power? Are you praying for His Spirit to control your life this hour? Oh, the Lord is ever faithful. He will hear us when we pray. Are you praying for revival? Are you willing to obey? We want revival. We just we have to decide we're going to pray. We have to decide we're going to seek Him for strength. We have to acknowledge we're weak without Him. We're vulnerable. And so for revival strength, we fast, we pray. We fast, we pray. Let's go ahead and decide we'll do that tonight. Father, we thank You for Your grace to work in us. I think about, I think about this great truth and... I'm convicted because of it, because in my own life, I feel confident that I want to do what you want me to do. I feel confident that I'm doing what you want me to do. But then I get, I get lax in the key to all of it and having the strength that we need to, to stand in the test or, or to avoid the temptation And it's to pray. I pray tonight that you would, for somebody tonight who perhaps needs to make a decision, a commitment to turn themselves to you, 
I pray that you would break their heart, that they would see what you want them to do, and then have that desire through a humble spirit. God, I want to do what you want me to do. And then, Lord, for those who have made that commitment, I pray that you would affirm this truth in our heart. Confirm it. Bring conviction to us that without you, we can do nothing. I mean, we can do nothing. We have no strength. We are weak without your strength, without your guidance and protection. So I pray tonight that you would allow that this would be a conviction and not just a theory, a good idea, but an absolute necessary aspect of our reviving. Lord, would you, would you lead us in this way tonight? It might be that we haven't prayed like we should. And it could be that we have continued to go back into our old ways because our prayer life is nowhere near it needs to be. Would you, Lord, bring conviction to us to understand that this is, this is something that we need to make a key part of our life? And we'll give you glory for what you do in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. If God's worked in you, the piano will play. You know, do a sermon on prayer.